All right, if you could make your way to Hebrews chapter 12, we'll be spending some time there. And at the same time, if you would uh, put a bookmark in Exodus chapter 19. So we'll kind of be going back and forth between the two passages today. So we're in Hebrews 12, Exodus 19, kind of at the same time. So in the early 1900s, San Francisco was becoming sort of the cultural and economic center of the western part of the United States. It's actually a little bit in competition with Los Angeles as becoming a really important city. And in 1905, the city, uh, the city leaders of San Francisco hired um, a city planner, an architect, to redesign their city. They wanted a more beautiful, a more engaging, a more, you know, a more user-friendly kind of city. Well, if you know history at all, you know that in 1906, a big earthquake hit San Francisco. So this earthquake hits, and San Francisco then had some decisions to make. They, they, they were in this process of rebuilding their city, of replanning and reorganizing. The earthquake hit, but they came to the conclusion that if they were going to rebuild quickly, because they didn't want to lose ground to L.A. They didn't want L.A. to take over as, you know, kind of the big and important city. So what San Francisco decided to do is they decided to quickly rebuild. So they had this earthquake, and um, this historian says that, he says, in the, he says, the demand to rebuild quickly took precedence over the demand for beautification. So they're, they're taking, uh, they're, they're cutting corners so that they can rebuild quickly. And he says, in their haste to rebuild, they simply scrapped the plan they had before and just rebuilt all the streets where they had been before, and they re- rebuilt much of the downtown in the same place as it had been before. And so this earthquake hit, and they decided, let's get things built back quickly, right? So they just put the buildings back right where they were. They made the same mistakes they had made the first time. So in 1989, so San Francisco is right on the San Andreas Fault. So in 1989, they have this, other, this earthquake that hits and they, they realized that they hadn't actually learned a lot of lessons from the 1906 earthquake. Um, a lot of the same places that were destroyed in, in 1906 were destroyed in 1989. Um, the places that had been rebuilt on soft soil, the places that had been rebuilt without extra like reinforced masonry, in 1989 those places fell apart as well. Those places crumbled. So God brought these earthquakes to this city, and these, they, they, didn't make, they didn't make any adjustments. They didn't make any changes because they wanted to rebuild quickly. They cut corners. And the passage we're going to look at today in Hebrews is a commentary on when God, in Exodus chapter 19, comes down to the people. He comes down to Mount Sinai, and He speaks to the people, and there's a great quake. There's a great earthquake. And in Hebrews, it says there's going to be another shaking. God's going to shake things again. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take a personal, kind of an application look, um, uh, an inspirational look at Hebrews chapter 12. Um, So just a disclaimer ahead of time. When we're looking at the book of Hebrews, we have to remember that the book of Hebrews doctrinally is actually written to the Jews. Okay, The, The title of the book is Hebrews. We are not Hebrews. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't learn from the book of Hebrews. So, I'm going to actually take, take the liberty this morning to put doctrine aside. We're not going to twist the scripture. We're not going to take something out of context. We're not going to 
I'm, I'm hopefully not going to do anything wrong, but we're going to take the doctrine and set it over here, and we're going to focus today on the historical application and the inspirational application. So I believe that anytime we study the Word of God, there's three ways to apply a passage of Scripture. We can look at the history, what actually happened, we can look at the doctrine, what is God teaching us, and then we can look at the inspiration. Well, how do those things apply to my life? And all three of them are applicable in any passage of Scripture, but just, as a, just to be up front with you all, we're going to take the doctrine and, and not ignore it, but we're going to put it on the back burner for this morning. One of the things that Paul says in the New Testament, he says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says it in Romans 15, Verse 4, he says, the things that happened before. So Paul is writing about what happened in the Old Testament. He's talking about the things that we saw before, um, the things that happened between the pages of Genesis 1 and, the, and, and, and Matthew chapter 1. He says those things are written for our admonition, so they're written as a warning to us. He also says that they're written for our learning, right? And, and he says that they're also written for an example. So when we go back and look at the book of Exodus, we're going to see... An example. We're going to see some learning. Um, we're going to get. We're going to have a chance. Um, Paul says in First Corinthians, those things that were written before, they're written so that they, 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 that we can have hope. Okay, so we're going to learn from those things, and then that's going to give us hope. I will say that some of the things in the message today are a little bit. Um, it's almost scary. Like we're reading things about how God comes down in this earthquake and how God wants to shake our lives. Now God wants to to mold us and move us and change us. And it's kind of like. Uh, I think I'd rather not. Like, I think I'd rather be comfortable, right? And so, but if we remember that this is the point, that through the learning, through the admonition, through the example, that actually gives us hope. We're going to take a look at the story um, from that lens. So let's go back. Um, let's start in, in Hebrews chapter 12. And we're just going to read a few verses at a time and talk about them, and then we'll go back as well. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. He says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and it so much and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned, or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear. And quake. So when I'm, I'm reading through this passage, and, and the Lord gave me this in a quiet time just a few weeks ago, and I'm reading through this passage thinking, okay, I, I think I know what story they're talking about, right? Like, I think I understand the cross-reference, but I also think it's really important that we, that we all get it, that we all see it. So this is where we're going to go back to the book of Exodus, because the author of Hebrews here is commenting on something that happened in Exodus chapter 19. And the Lord did something really pretty awesome and by bringing the storm this morning. I, if you were caught in it, like between your car and the church, you're probably thinking, not so awesome. Like we saw people, I'm down in the cafe and people came in, like they looked like they just got out of the shower because it had been raining so hard. But this passage talks about a storm. So I think it's super appropriate. Um, God's really good. And if I could take credit for bringing the storm today, I definitely would, but cannot do that. Verse, okay, Exodus 19, verse 10. So, well, get to the context. Look at 19, verse 1. It says, in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt. So, 
they're three months removed from bondage and captivity in Egypt. They leave Egypt, they, they go through the Red Sea, they're journeying, right? They're on their way. And so this is what happens in, in verse 10. That's where we are. Verse 10, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon, upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bonds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be utterly put to death, shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, then or they shall come up to the mount. So this is, this is God setting the stage. He's saying, hey Moses, something big is going to happen and you need to be ready for it. He says, Put a, uh, set up bounds around the mountain so that the people can't get too close. And if anything breaks through, if anybody has an animal, if any person, if any little kid breaks through that boundary and gets close to the mount, God's going to like strike them down. He says they're going to be shot through with an arrow. Like just eliminate that person. That person cannot get close to the mount. So this is a big contrast because what we see in the book of Hebrews, right when we started our passage, he said, you're, he says, we are approaching God. So he says, you're going to approach the Lord, but he says, you're not approaching him. You're not approaching him in this way. So all the things we see here, we're like, we look at it and we think, wow, God's big and God's scary and God's awesome and God is like killing you know, donkeys that try to get to the mountain. Like, why would he do that? We can talk about that later. The important thing to know is that we are not approaching God in the same way. When we approach the Lord, we don't have to do it in the same way. Let's keep going. Verse, uh, verse 16. So he's saying, this is what's going to happen. Verse 16, it says, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mount. I just, I, so as we're reading, just get this picture in your mind of a mountain and, and God coming down, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's a cloud, there's this voice of a trumpet. Just start picturing these things. Maybe, you've, maybe this morning as you were driving in, you saw the storm coming. Or maybe you've been in the mountains when a storm has come across. And you just, you just see it coming. And I don't know, I'm the kind of person that when, when I know there's a storm coming... And everybody, you know, the weather channel says, be careful and go to your basement and be... I'm the guy that's on the front porch watching the storm. I don't know if anybody else is. Like, I'm excited about that. I want to see it. Like, I'm out. Now, I'm not getting in a van and chasing it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that crazy. I'm just a little crazy enough to go stand on the front porch and just watch it come. Because it's, it's amazing, right? It's, it's spectacular. These things are happening in the sky, and we can't explain them. And we can see them afar off, and we hear this noise. And just the other day, like... The, the thunder would, would hit and it, our house was just trembling. Like our house is shaking from the thunder. That's cool to me. It's like a little bit scary, but also kind of fascinating. So that's what the people are experiencing and they're out in the open. They don't have storm shelters. They're in their tents and then they come out because God's coming down. Verse 17, let's keep going in the story. It says, And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. 
and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. So we've got a lot of things happening. And something that I think is really awesome is that when, when God comes down, so we have this weird mix of God as a consuming fire, which we're going to see in Hebrews. So God comes down as a fire and as a storm, and there's thunder and there's lightning and there's loudness. And we also have this contrasted with like complete darkness. So when I was thinking of this, I'm thinking as God is this consuming fire that is just taking up the mountain, it says the whole mountain was smoke. Like a giant mountain just turns into smoke because that's all the people can see. And so there's this darkness, there's this light. It's almost like God is so all-consuming that he's even capturing all the other light around him. It's like you, you can't see anything but the Lord in this picture. So the Lord's coming down. I was thinking, does everybody remember from, I don't know, the 90s, that movie Independence Day with Will Smith? Okay, remember the scene where these giant spacecraft are breaking through the atmosphere? They're like all coming in to, to sit over all of these cities and the clouds are like breaking and there's like fire and there's the smoke and it's like they just, they just come in. When I was thinking about God coming down on Mount Sinai, I was picturing that movie. Um, I don't know if that, I don't know what that says about me, but I was picturing that movie. Like it's a really... I don't know, like God's breaking through the clouds. Like God's here in heaven and he decides to cross the cosmos and come down and be with humans and like meet with them on a mountain. And it's spectacular. Like it's the best show anybody's ever seen. And they're standing there and they're watching and they're trembling and they're scared. And they, the people can't even get close to God. So Moses has to stand between. So your first blank is that Moses stood between the Lord and the people. What an incredible picture. And what an incredible amount of responsibility and, and just strength and trust. What an incredible person Moses was to be the man to stand between God and His people. I think if, if we think about this practically, so many of us are in a position of leadership, whether we're parents um, whether we're in Kid Town, whether we're leading a ministry, whatever we're doing. And I think there's really a spot for us here to say, how can I deliver God's message for people? How can I take the Word of God, God who's here on the mountain, and people who are here, how can I intervene? Okay, now, we know that the, in the New Testament, we know there's a mediator. Jesus is the mediator, right? People, we don't technically need someone else to go between us and the Lord. We can talk to the Lord ourselves. And that's going to be a big point at the end of the message. Like, 
we, get, we have God's Word. We don't need a Moses anymore. But God puts us in positions where we get to share His Word with other people. We get to stand between. We get to interpret. We get to preach. We get to teach. We get to open the Bible with our kids and say, this is what God is saying. And that's a big job, and that's a big responsibility, and we can't take it for granted. What's really cool in this passage, too, is that a couple different times, God has to tell Moses, like, Moses, don't let the people come through. Don't let the people come through. And I think where, the, where this is coming from is God's heart is really to protect people, right? God knew, so if, if God's people broke through and got to the mountain before God was ready to speak to them, they never would have had a chance to hear from the Lord. So in God's protection and in His providence, He says, hold the people back so that Moses, so I can speak to you, so that you can speak to the people. To me, this speaks of how much God loves and cares for His people. In the New Testament, the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want, didn't want those people to break through and die. He wanted them to wait to hear from Him. He wanted them to wait so that he could get the message to Moses so that Moses could deliver the message to the people. What a good God, right? Like God is so patient and so loving and so kind. And it's almost like I was thinking of like the superheroes that, that have that, that power that's almost uncontrollable that if you touch them, like if a normal person touches them, like they'll die because they can't handle it, right? And I was thinking about that almost in terms of God. God can control himself, so it's not a perfect analogy, but it's almost like if, if, if you get too close to God in this passage, if you're getting too close to God before you're ready, God's just like, this is who I am. I'm not trying to hurt you, but I am so perfect, and you guys don't even have the law yet. You're not ready to approach me yet. Like, it's not time. Think about, it, think about in our lives, if we have people in our lives that haven't met with God, for, that haven't met Jesus before they go meet with God, they're going to go to the they're going to go to the judgment seat someday. They're going to die and go to the judgment seat. If they get to the judgment seat with never having that intermediary, it's the same as in this passage. The same thing is going to happen to them, right? So we've got to put ourselves in that position where we're getting the word to people so that so that they don't suffer this same fate. It's interesting that, so look at Exodus chapter 20. There's a little bit of a commentary on this. I just want to read one verse. So Exodus 20, verse 20. Um, so Exodus 20, 20, Moses said unto the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. So why did God come down? Moses has to explain it to the people, because the people are like, uh, what is happening, you know, right? Like God comes down, Moses goes up to talk to God, and then God says, hey Moses, go back down and talk to the people. So he goes down and talks to the people, he gives them the Ten Commandments, then he has to explain to them why God did it this way. And what we just read is, Moses tells them, don't be afraid, he says, God has come to prove you. So when we meet with the Lord, right, God is proving us. God is revealing Himself to us. And what's the point of that? He says, That His fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. 
What's the point of meeting with God on a regular basis? I mean, we need relationship, right? We need fellowship. We should want to be with Him. But when we meet with the Lord and He proves us or reproves us, that's going to drive sin out of our lives. Anybody ever experienced this? And you don't have to raise your hand, but I've experienced this in my life where I knew that if I opened God's Word, that God was going to show me something I didn't like. So what do, what's our reaction? I'm just going to miss my quiet time for a few days. Maybe it'll go away. Maybe God will go away. Maybe God will stop talking to me. Maybe that thing in my life will just sort itself out and I won't have to deal with it. The Lord says when He comes to meet with us, He comes to prove us so that we fear Him so that sin gets driven out of our lives. Don't be afraid of that in your life. We need to embrace that in our lives. We need to sit under preaching and teaching. We need to open the Word on a regular basis and let, let it remove sin from our lives. It cleanses us. It washes us clean. Um, but if we avoid that, we never get the chance for God to work on our lives. All right. Back in Hebrews chapter 12. So we, we're, we've set the stage here. We've got God comes down in Mount Sinai. There's thunder and lightning and there's an earthquake and there's a voice and it's loud and the people are scared and they don't know how to react. And in Hebrews, we're going to keep getting a little bit of a commentary. So the beginning of what we read in Hebrews, he said, okay, that mountain that, you know, that whole scenario I just described, he's like, that's not happening anymore. Praise the Lord, right? So let's move on. Verse 22. He says, But ye are come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and unto the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So we, as Christians, we are living out our days on a physical earth, right? But the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, it says our conversation, our citizenship is actually in heaven. So we live as dual citizens. We're citizens of earth. We live here on earth. But our conversation, and in Philippians that word conversation means citizenship, our behavior, um, you know, how, where we belong is actually in heaven. So our conversation is there. So in Hebrews, he's saying, we're not going to the physical mountain, but where we're going is to this spiritual place. And who's in this spiritual place? What is this, right? Like what is happening there? He says, um, there's the general assembly, the church, um, God's there, Jesus is there. Um, like all, that's where we're going. We're going to this, phys- the, this spiritual place. And so it gives me hope because what that, what that says for us, what that means for us is that we can approach God. Hebrews chapter 4 says that we should come boldly unto the throne of grace, right? So we're not approaching a physical mountain. We're approaching this spiritual throne of grace. The only way we have access to that is because of Jesus. Jesus died for us. The blood, right, the blood of Jesus opens up the door so that we can come boldly into the throne room. I think it's interesting to see, it's interesting to think about the difference in approach to the Lord. So in the Old Testament passage we read, we have the people approaching God, and as they see God come down on the mountain, they're shaking and trembling. Like, even Moses himself, who the Bible describes as, 
you know, like the meekest man on earth. Moses is a special guy. He is trembling and shaking uncontrollably when he sees God come down. I think a lot of that had to do with it's new, it's different, they'd never seen God before. But I also think a lot of it had to do with the way that God manifests himself. God shows up in this huge way and, and people are in awe and people are scared and, and rightly so. I think what happens to us a lot of times is we get so used to just like being with God that it doesn't really do much for us anymore. It's kind of like, well, same old thing. Well, God's my, my buddy. And sometimes we treat him that way, right? Like, well, hey, God, how's it going today? Um, could you help me get a good parking spot at the office? Like, we're just casual. It's just like, we just talk. Like, and I think there's something to be said for that because the Bible says that God, you know, he, I, I think he desires a relationship and a friendship with us. But we have to keep in mind that the God of the universe who comes down to Mount Sinai and Mount Sion with, with, a, with an earthquake and with a storm and, with, and causes all this trembling, that's the same God that, that we get to interact with on a daily basis when we open the Word. So while it gets to be friendly and while God wants to, to be close to us, we have to keep that reverence and that awe in mind. I was thinking of even how Jesus comes in the New Testament and Jesus is so approachable. Jesus is hanging out, and little, he's so approachable that little kids want to come and sit on his lap. So this is a good sign for you or for someone you know. If you're not a, an approachable person, like if, if kids see you and they run away from you, you're probably not a super approachable person. You, maybe you're just one of those people that just, you just don't like kids. I don't know what it is, but... That's probably a good sign. But what does that say about Jesus who was so approachable? Or Jesus is walking through a crowd. There's so many people around him. Somebody touches him. He can't even tell who it is. But he was so involved with people that he allowed that physical interaction to happen. He allows a woman to wash his feet with her hair. Jesus is so approachable. Sometimes when I read the Old Testament, I see God, I'm picturing God coming down in a mountain saying, stay away from me, you're going to get hurt. And then you see the God of the New Testament who sends his son to literally be together with us. And I don't think, so I know that that isn't two different gods, right? That is God showing himself in a different way. And how privileged are we to be able to hang out with Jesus, like to have access to that God because of the sacrifice, because of the blood, we get that. Now, again, we can never take that for granted. Psalms chapter 8, this, I love this psalm. So David says, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, he says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Like, God, I'm thinking about you and how awesome you are and the things that you've made. Um, who am I that you would even like, know who I am, that you would even consider talking to me? And that's the very God who came down and gave us his word so that we can love him and interact with him. I don't know if there's a formula for this. Sometimes I think, okay, when I approach the Lord, should I have like 50% of me as like friendship and 50% of me is like at reverence and awe and respect? Or is it like an 80-20? Or is it, I don't think there's a formula. I think it's a heart posture. I think it's an attitude of, God, I reverence you. 
I'm in awe of you. I fear you. I fear you so much. If I, I know that if I disobey you, there will be consequences. And yet I can come boldly to your throne and ask for what I want. It's amazing. Like, I think that we could think about that and pray about that and, 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 and meditate on that the rest of our lives and never really wrap our heads around it because it's so incredible. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. So where have we been? So we know that we're not going to a physical mountain. We're not approaching a physical place to meet with God. You didn't come to church today because, well, God came down and showed up at the Meyer building. No. We come to a spiritual place because we have a spiritual relationship with the Lord. So what does that result in? Look at verse, Hebrews 12, verse 25. He says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall, that shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. So, he instructs us in verse 25 to refuse not him that speaketh. Refuse not him that speaketh. Godfather, anyone? Make you an offer that you can't refuse. So when we hear from the Lord, the commandment here is to not refuse that. The opposite of refusing it would be to accept it. So when we hear from the Lord, we accept what He has said to us. Okay, we take it as truth. We take it as the very Word of God. We don't ignore it. We don't despise it. We don't refuse it. We don't take it for granted. We accept it. So we know what he says here in verse 25. He says, um, he says, for they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth. So he's referring to Exodus. So in Exodus 19, God comes down and speaks to people on earth. We know that they refused his commandments because in a, f- a few chapters after Exodus 19, we all know what happens. Moses is back up on the mountain, and the people are making an idol. Like, right away, they disobey. Right away, they refuse it. So it's clear to me that, that what God means by don't refuse him that speaketh, what God is saying is, learn what I'm saying, accept it, but the way that you prove that you've done that is that your life changes. You actually live out what you've heard. You actually, when, when God, when we come close to God in, in Exodus 20 said, I come to prove you and I've come that you might fear me and that I might drive sin out of your life. When we come to God and we hear from him and we don't drive sin out of your life, we have done what Hebrews 12, 25 says not to do. We have refused him that spoke. Now we don't actively do that. We don't say, God, I'm not even going to listen to you. I'm not going to hear from you. Like we take God's teaching and we listen to it. But if we're not obeying it, then we're refusing it. If we're not applying it to our lives, then we have rejected God's teaching. Um, It's interesting because what happened with the Israelites is 
So, and this was a necessary thing, right? What had happened with the Israelites is that God is here and they're over here and they can't get close to Him. So they've got Moses in between. But I think what's easy for us to do is to say, well, God's here and the guy preaching is here and I'm here. So the guy preaching isn't actually talking to me. Like, I can refuse God's voice if I'm removed from it. If I think, well, that applies to someone else. Well, he must be talking about that person. When he wrote the message, he must have had this person in mind. He must be thinking about someone else. I think God's people could do that too. They're like, well, I'm glad Moses is giving all those commands. Like, that's cool and that's good. But I don't think that really applies to me. I didn't hear God say that exactly directly to me. So I'm not going to apply it to my life. And don't we do the same? Like when a preacher stands up and, and gives the word and we're like, well, I'm glad that, that God is speaking to Pastor Sam, but I'm here and God didn't say that to me. So like I can just ignore it out of my life. So there's two things happening. One, the New Testament is clear that God puts pastors and teachers in the church for our edification, Ephesians chapter 4. So when God puts pastors and teachers and spiritual leaders in our lives, we should listen to what they say because they've been anointed by God to preach. They've been anointed by God to speak into our lives. The other thing that's happening is that because of the blood of Christ, because we have the Bible, because we have the complete Word of God, we don't need Moses. Right? We can approach the throne of God. We can listen to God. We can hear the voice of God. There's a danger there. And this is a danger. This is a reason why many traditional churches throughout the years have kept the Bible very close. Because if I control, if I'm the one that's telling you what this book says, I can make it say anything I want. And the history has proven that this has happened for thousands of, a thousand years, 2,000 years. On the flip side of that, if you have the Word, now you can decide what you think it says and means for your life, and you can tell the church leaders how they should run their business, and you can tell everybody else what you think they should do. Well, because God spoke to me and God said that. So we have to be super careful to remember that there's, there's a balance here. God speaks to us individually. God speaks to us through His Word, through pastors and teachers. And if you really want to know what God's saying to you personally, when those two things line up, that's the stuff you grab a hold of. That's the stuff where you say, wow, God, you must love me. You must really love me because in my quiet time, I've been reading here. And then on Sunday, I heard the same thing. It's time. You're getting my attention. That's like an earthquake. God, you showed up. So let's, let's keep both of those together, both of those thoughts in mind at the same time. Because it's easy for us to separate from that, right? It's so crazy too. So when in the New Testament, in, in, when Jesus goes up and He's transfigured, so He goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and God starts speaking to Him. And you remember the, the, the disciples that were there were like, let's build a tabernacle, let's, let's, let's stay here, let's, let's build some structure, let's... And, and they're trying to, to put all this building together. And they're missing the point, right? They're missing the point of being together with God. The commentary on that passage, so 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, says that we 
says that we have a more sure word of prophecy. So, the actual audible voice of God is incredible. Like if, you, if I could go back to Exodus 19 and be there and hear it and see it, like I'll take that ticket. I'll, I'll go right now. But what we, actually, what we have in our hands is more sure. It's actually in some ways better than hearing the audible voice of God. Why are we so privileged? And why, why do we take that for granted? The actual voice of the living God exists in a book. And, and God didn't give us 30,000 pages. And God didn't give us scrolls that we can't... He didn't give us a language we can't understand. Like He gave us everything He wants us to hear in this package. Or in 150,000 versions on your phone. It's right there. It's so accessible. We cannot take it for granted. The, the result of refusing to hear is that um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fall into sin, right? We're going to fall into the same types of things that the, that the Israelites fell into. Verse 27, Hebrews 12, 27, it says, And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things which are shaken. So in verse 26, he's saying, at the end of verse 26, he says, Once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. So in verse 27, explains that. He says, once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So again, doctrinally, this is pointing to the Jews in the last half of the tribulation. So in the future, we're going to be raptured out. The church is going to be raptured out. There's going to be a period of great tribulation. The last half of that, God's going to shake things up for the Jewish people. He's going to shake the earth so that they can see what they have missed, so that they can see that they missed the Messiah, so that they have a way to be reconciled to God. For us, what that means is that when God speaks to us, He is shaking our lives. And what is the purpose of this shaking? When, when God talks about shaking our lives through the preaching, through the reading of His Word, the shaking results in the things that are temporal need to be shed. They need to go away. We need to put them off. He describes them here in Hebrews as those things that are made. Made by who? The things that we make ourselves in our lives that don't line up with what God wants. The temporal, physical things that we build up, maybe it's a career, maybe it's money, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's fill in the blank, whatever we're building up in our lives, the purpose of hearing from God is so that He can shake our lives so that those temporal things fall away. So that we, we get rid of those things that we have made. Has anybody ever seen, ever seen the pictures or the videos of those those old like weight loss systems where you'd see a guy like standing holding onto a bar and there was a conveyor belt and it would like it would like shake and there's usually a, a heavy guy with no shirt on and so he's doing this and like the conveyor belt is shaking him as if in some way the shaking is going to cause him to lose a bunch of weight 
Um, the other thing I thought, of, does anybody remember the shake weight? That dumbbell that was like activated? And so they would, you would see these commercials of guys that were like 240 pounds and just ripped and like big and muscular. And they're like, I just used the shake weight for like three minutes a day and this is what happened. <laughs> no, that's, that's not what happened. Like you've been in the gym three hours a day for the last eight years and now you look like that. Don't pretend that it's the shake weight. Don't pretend that hooking up some conveyor belt or like the new thing is you get this little belt and it like it sends electrodes through your body and it kind of shakes. And then, you know, in the commercial, the guy goes in and he's like 30 pounds overweight. He puts it on and then he comes out and he's got a six pack. Like three minutes a day, it's all it takes. Just plug it in. It's not that easy. Shaking, the shaking of the Lord is not pleasant. It's usually not super fun. You know that term that we use when we feel out of sorts? We're kind of like, man, I feel kind of shook up. Like if you've ever had a really hard conversation, um, maybe, maybe, maybe if you've ever been fired, if you've ever lost someone close to you, you've experienced something traumatic and we describe that as being shook up because it's difficult. So why do we avoid God's shaking? We avoid it because it's difficult. We avoid it because it's not as easy as picking up the shake weight two minutes a day and now I'm a, I'm a muscle man. It's not how it works. It's difficult. It's a process. I think that we need to remember that whenever God shakes us up, it's because He loves us. It's because He wants what's best for us. Um, There's a quote on the next slide. It says, Don't be alarmed if God shakes up your world. Though your first natural thought may be to disagree, the change is a blessing. It's not a sign that you are unworthy. Every one of us is unworthy. It's not a sign of hatred, but love. If he did not love you, he would let you completely self-destruct. As it is, he cleanses your life from sin. We're going to allow that shaking in our lives to cleanse us from sin. Look at the, the very end of this passage, verse 28. We'll conclude with this. It says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved... What kingdom can't be moved? It's the eternal kingdom. The eternal things in our lives cannot be moved. When it all shakes out and we go to the judgment seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, God's going to burn away all the temporal things. What's going to remain? The eternal. Same thing with this shaking. The the eternal is going to remain. We receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming So where does all of this lead us, right? We've gone from God comes down on a mountain and he shakes the earth and people are trembling and they're scared. Moses has to stand in between. Okay, this is scary, but that's not us. But what we do approach is is a heavenly, is an eternal, is a spiritual relationship, a spiritual God. What does that lead to? That relationship leads to God shaking our lives. What is He shaking? He's shaking the temporal things. The things that we make in our lives, God is shaking them. He's getting rid of them so that we can focus on the eternal. What is the point of all that? Verse 28 says, The point of all that is so that we can have grace, so that we can serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So when we get to the point where we're allowing God to shake us and rid us of sin, 
on a regular basis. And it's interesting how it works. Sometimes it comes in giant earthquakes. And sometimes it comes in little trembles and little tremors on a daily basis. I was thinking about this in terms of, um, I don't know why I was thinking about this. I was thinking in terms of head injuries. So the big thing in the NFL lately has been concussions. And they really say that it's those consistent kind of every play, little hits to the head that kind of shake a person's brain that are going to cause long-term impact. What also causes long-term you know, negative effects is the giant hits, the big ones where you're, you're, where you're shook up and rattled. We get the same thing from the Lord where we get a little daily shaking, little daily reminders, little daily you know, movements, but we also get those times where God completely wrecks our lives, where God completely shakes everything. And God is trying to get us to the point where we can be like verse 28, where we can serve God acceptably with reverence, and godly fear. So my, my encouragement is use the shaking, use the trembling, use God's voice to get you to where you can be in verse 28, where you can serve Him with reverence and godly fear. Let's pray. We're almost out of time. God, thank You for Your Word and for the, this passage. Um, God, thanks for shaking me. Thanks for shaking us. Thanks for loving us so much that You don't let us stay in our sin. You don't let us stay in our current situation. You shake us um, beyond that. So I pray that you would help us to get to the point where, uh, where we're serving you with reverence and fear, where we're approaching you daily, where you're teaching us what it means to know you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.